We are learning Daf Kufei. We're starting from the two dots where the um, we're going to analyze the line of the Mishnah Chosmi Pachal Shavar Pritzah So we spoke about how the, the the person in the Mishnah denied falsely that he had stolen. So when he admits that he swore falsely about that fact, then he has to travel all the way to Madai to pay the person back. Instead, this is all true, only true for the Karen that you have to go all the way to Madai. Let's say he was Mochim, all of the Karen except for. A shavar pruta, okay, then there's a shavar pruta left. Well, pruta is worth the money, you still have to go to Madai. But if it's less than shavar pruta, you don't have to go to Madai. So now the Gemara teaches um, a qualification. Amar Papa, lo shanu, when is this true? El shenik We're talking about when, they, when the thing that you stole is not intact. So remember, what's the halacha? If you steal and the thing is intact, you have to return, return the thing that you stole. When it's not intact, then you pay debt, then you pay money. So when the thing is not intact, you don't have it, and it's only a question of how much money you're paying. So there, there's a halacha. That if the debt that you own currently is less than a shavar pruta, you don't have to go to madai. Alexela kayamas, but in a case where the rob, where the thing that you robbed is still intact in his possession, even if it's less than than a, than a pruta, you still have to go. You would still have to uh, go and return the thing intact with him. And the reason is the gemara says an interesting reason. In other words, really, it's still shvar because. Still doesn't have a pruta's worth of value, but the reason is We're concerned that the value might increase to a pruta. So, in other words, even if you have it right now in its current state, where this item that you stole is not worth a pruta, it may go up, and then it would have a, a shabbos, it would have the value of a pruta. So, therefore, as long as it's an intact item where, where if there can be fluctuation on its value, then you will always have to return it to him and go to madai, even if currently it's under a pruta. Other people teach, actually, no, the opposite. It makes no difference whether the thing that was stolen is, in, is intact or not. Either case, the thief does not have to go uh, to Madai to return it if it's worth less than a pruta. Now, we are not concerned that perhaps the value will increase to a pruta. So, we, we, and it's just to clarify this point a little bit better, you know, you, know, you, 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 you pay the karen and the chomash and you bring a carbon asham. If you would bring the carbon before you fulfilled all the hashava, then the carbon is possible. So let's say a guy uh, didn't return the part that was less than a pruta because it was worth, worth less than a pruta, and then he proceed, he followed through and brought his carbon, and then it emerged that the thing was worth a pruta, and actually he's going to retroactively disqualify his carbon. So there is a certain risk in not returning it um, and saying, hey, well, it's only worth less than a pruta, so it's going to be okay. It's okay if it doesn't go up. If the price goes up, you wouldn't be messed up. And that's what the two different versions here are disputing about whether or not we're concerned it will go up. Now we quote from the Amaram, very related point here. Amaram, somebody stole three bundles or three vegetables or whatever, bundles of vegetables, and the value that they have is three prutas. Then they go down. And now the three are only worth two prutas. Now, even if the thief returns two of the bundles, so the only thing that he's holding is what well, is something that's worth less than a pruta now. He's still liable to return the other one. Why? It's not worth a pruta now. So what's the shot? Since it was worth a pruta at the time of the theft, at the time of the theft, it was three for three. So each one was worth a pruta. So then you're required to return it even to go all the way to Madai. So this is a little bit different than the case in the Gemara before. The case of the Gemara before, there wasn't a fluctuation in the price. Here, in our case, we're saying if it was worth a pruta at the time, and you have that item by you now, then even though it went down, and right now it's worth less than a pruta, certainly you're still obligated to return it, because it was chal the chi of hashava on the item. That's the way I think you have to like think about it. Like In other words, if you stole three for three, so each one, as soon as you stole it, became obligated that you have to return it, because each one is a pruta, so you have to go all the way to madai. And then now, even though presently, now three are go for two, and you return two, so the only thing that's left by you is something less than a pruta, you still are liable to return it. Now, Rubber brings the support to this. But Tanatuna, we can tell this from the Mishnah. Remember the case where a 
Chazan steals Chametz, so that had value. He's still a cereal box. It's worth $5. But then Pesach passes over it while it's still in his possession. So what happens? It becomes also awesome. No, now it has no value if you want to sell it. So he, but, but is, what, so what, what's the halacha? Does he have to pay him back the value of what he stole? No, he doesn't. He could just return the stereo, cereal box intact and say, hey, this is what it is that I stole you. So it's a chedesh because he's giving back something which has no value. But again, as long as the item is intact, so the chiv hashava is fulfilled when you give back the cereal box. So then, you know, it stinks for the, for the victim that he gets back something that has no value, but the robber is technically in the right for returning it back and saying, this is the thing that I stole from you. Take it back the way it is. So time at Yisveinei, the only thing he can return the worthless chametz and doesn't have to pay the values because the, the cereal box is intact. So he says, if it wouldn't be intact, then he wouldn't be able to say, even though that means that the thing that he stole presently has no value. The reason you would have to pay is because of the fact that originally at the time of the theft it had monetary value. So meaning we see that, that you have to pay based upon what you stole, not based upon what happened to the item. So even though um, at the time that you come, so again, something, if, assuming something would happen to the store box and you have to pay cash, you'd have to pay the cash, the value that it had uh, at the time that you stole, not the valueless uh, uh, amount that it, that it's worth now. So we see that what you stole is triggering the chiv from the hashava. So achanami so too. Again, what's what's so too? What's our case? Someone sold three pruta, three bundles worth three prutas. They subsequently the price drops, and the three bundles are only worth two. And then you return two, so you're only holding a bundle now that's worth less than a shavu pruta. So achanami still avagav the hashava shavu pruta, even though presently the third bundle is not worth a pruta. Keep the mekarav shavu pruta. Since originally at the time of the theft it was worth a pruta by shulume, you still are required to pay for it. And how do you pay for it? That would be the case. If it's intact, you return it intact. And if it's less, then if, if, it, if, if the bundle's not here, then you would have to pay the owner the, the amount that it was worth when, uh, when you stole it. Now, Rava wants to know about a similar case here. Bali Rava, Let's say someone stole two prutas, that together the value is a pruta. So you steal a pruta's worth of bundles, but they're two bundles together. And he returns one mahu. What's the halacha? So here, each bundle originally was not worth a pruta. Right? It was only both bundles together that were worth a pruta. So now when I return one, I have the half pruta value remaining by me. So you'd say, I don't have to return it because it originally was only worth half a pruta and now it's only worth half a pruta. I don't have a chiba shaman less than a pruta. Do we say now there's no, there's no stolen item of value of pruta in his possession? And remember, it never was worth that either. There's no decrease in price. So he's not liable to return it. He's good. Or, wow, but he lies that he didn't return the stolen thing that was in his possession. Meaning to say, what? Well, since what did he pay back? He paid back one bundle that was worth less than a pruta. So he didn't do any hashava. So if he didn't do any hashava, he has to give the second bundle as well. So what's the lumness of what we're saying? We're saying that a ganav, besides for the fact that he can't have a, a, a pruta remain by him, there's another halacha. He has to do a hashava. To do a hashava, to return means I give an item worth a pruta back to the owner. So here, where I stole two prutas that together were worth a pruta, and I returned one, I didn't, I didn't fulfill the chiv hashava. So as long as I didn't fulfill any chiv hashava, notice, I didn't do hashava back to the victim, then I can't keep what I have because, oh, it's less than a pruta. I have to do the chiv hashava. In our, our, our last case, where we were talking about, you know, a case where maybe, uh, maybe you stole, you stole three, three bundles worth two prutas, let's just say, and you and you return one, and it's worth you was worth a pruta. You mechayim the king of chiv hashava. So then, if you have something that's worth less than a pruta that's stuck but still by you, maybe you could keep it. But in a case where you originally stole something that were two that were worth a pruta together, worth a pruta, and now I return one, I wasn't mechayim the chiv hashava. Maybe that requires me to return even the thing that's less than a pruta that's by me. So how the pasta we resolve the inquiry? Zela inkan hashava inkan. There's nothing stolen. There's no return.
So what does that mean? Kan, if there's nothing stolen by you, then there is a return. Meaning, if, if there's no violation, we don't feel like there's a stolen thing by you, what do we mean there's no Ashava? So the Gemara says, Even though there's no stolen item that's stolen by you, because the thing by you is less than a pruta, you still did not fulfill the mitzvah of Ashava. So basically what we're saying is that even though nothing of value remains by the thief, so therefore it's tough to say, oh, I'm suing you because you have my, you have my money because it's less than a pruta, but still you weren't mekayim din of hashava because you didn't give him back something worth a pruta. So at the point that Umar is making is that the chi of the mitzvah of hashava is mekayim to give back a pruta, and until you don't give back that amount, you haven't fixed your sin of theft, of theft which is the point of returning. Uh, you haven't fulfilled that mitzvah and you, unless you can give back a, a, an item worth a pruta. All right, now the Gemara is really we're jumping to a completely different sugya, something to Masachas and Nazir, totally different thing. But there's a common, there's like a commonality in the sense of like they, there are things that are coming together in irony. Like here, where you had less than a short fruits by you and a mitzvah sashava, and we're trying to figure out could I be Mekayim and mitzvah sashava if I have the thing that's less than a fruits that remains by me? So now, Amar Rav, Hari Amar, we have said in the Mishnah, God Nazir Shigila Saras, a Nazir who shaves his head, but he leaves. Two hairs that are unshaven. So we're talking about the mitzvah for the Nazar to shave his head when he finishes the term of his ears. The Nazar can't shave his head. But at the end, when he completes the term and he brings carbonos, he has a mitzvah to shave all the hair on his head. So let's say he shaves everything, but he leaves two hairs. Laws of He hasn't fulfilled the mitzvah because he left over two hairs. Let's say he left two hairs. Let's say he shaves one and the other one fell out on its own. Ma, what the halacha? Did he now fulfill the shaving requirement? So the point that we're saying is, he said is that if you shave less than two hairs, you're not doing an act of shaving. So do we say that Lamaisa, your second act of shaving was done to only one hair? So it's not an act of shaving. So you haven't yet been Makai in the mitzvah. Or do we say that since the last hair fell out by itself, so nothing remains, if nothing remains, so there's no requirement to do a giluach. If you would be required to do it, then you have to wait for the hair to grow out again and then shave it again. It would be very, like, you know, take a lot of time to tell you to bring your carbonos. So I'm like, Rachman Divit to the Ravina, Rachman Divit said to Ravina, Rava is Rava wondering about a Nazar who shaved his head one hair at a time. That was for sure he's Yotze. If a Nazar shaved the whole head one hair at a time, he's Yotze, because all each shaving of each hair combines with the shaving of the other. So what exactly does Rava want to understand? What, what does Rava want to know? So Ravina clarifies what he wanted to know. The case is where first, okay, so he shaves everything down to, to, to the last two hairs. Then of the remaining two hairs, first one hair fell out, and then he shaved the last remaining one. So the point is that when he started the second shaving, his head didn't have the minimum number of hairs that could be shaved. Because he got down to two, one then fell out, and now he wants to do a Maiseki Luach on one. So the question is, is that last thing considered a Maiseki Luach? Do we say as of now, there's no amount of unshaven hair, of shaved hair that, 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 that should make it no good. So therefore, he's exempt from any further action because the Maise, there aren't two hairs that is left. So he can't be considered an unshaven head. So therefore, everything's fine, as is Lamaisa, there's no hair. Lamaisa, this guy didn't do a proper act of shaving because that last hair went away without shaving. He cut it off, but there was only one hair remaining. In Kara Shash Cyrus, when he initially shaved his head, he left two hairs behind. So that wasn't a full Maisa And now when he shaved the second time, so there weren't two hairs remaining. So his current action doesn't qualify as an act of shaving. So you can't be Yodse until the hair grows back and he shaves it better. So again, he shaves down to two hairs. That wasn't a Maisa He left two hairs. Now that one hair fell out and only one hair remains. 
So the second act also can't be an act of shaming because it's not being done on two hairs. So maybe he's no good. He has to wait for the hair to grow back. So other polished up, we resolved it. Sayer inkan, there is no hair. Gilach inkan, there's no shaving. So what does that mean? Isar inkan, gilach ishkan. If you're saying, oh, it's good because there's no hair, so then it is considered an act of shaving. So what we're saying, the more clarifies, and this is the reason it's similar to what we had before by Hashava. Hachigamar, afa bisha sayer inkan, even no lamaisa. It ends up that there's no hair. Mitzvah skiluach inkan. You still didn't fulfill the mitzvah of shaving. In other words, we're saying it's no good. It's not a fulfillment because sin. The first thing left over two hairs, and then the second action, there wasn't an act of shaving done on two hairs, so therefore there's no kiyum of mitzvah and the only thing that the Nazi will be able to do is wait for more hair to grow and then shave again. Another similar sort of thing, just here we're going to talk about tumma. So we know a tumma, right? We know the dead body spreads throughout the whole OL. So if there's a hole, then it can go through the hole. And be metami things that are on top. So Amar Rav Ari Amru Chavish Shenikva B'Stumuishvarim. Let's say you have an earthenware barrel. So an earthenware barrel, just to understand, you have a skylight that is trying to close up and contain the tuma. So the reason earthenware can contain the tuma is because earthenware is only makabel tuma in the interior, not the exterior. So what you're basically trying to do is put the whole <coughs> the exterior of the barrel uh, coming and blocking the skylight. So the exterior of the barrel blocking the skylight basically means that you're putting the top of the barrel facing down. And then the walls are going to block the skylight. So there's no way for the tumah to penetrate the inside of the barrel. And therefore, thereby, the barrel will be a chotze. So it will block off the tumah, contain it to, 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 to the, under the skylight. So what happens if there was a, the, 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 the barrel has a hole? And evidently, it doesn't say here what the shear is. So let's figure it out maybe at a different point in life. But here, just there's a certain size, I guess, that a hole, if it's big enough, then the tumah can pass through. So what happens if the hole was there? It was a but then sediment was sealing the hole. So you'd see lua. So that, that spares it, meaning it's good. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't allow the tumah to pass through because Lamai said the sediment is closing the hole. Let's say you seal half the hole. What is the halacha? It was originally large enough for the tumah to pass through and then you seal off half of it with some clay. Do we say the remaining hole is too small for the tumah to pass and therefore it's immune to the tumah? Or do we say since it was originally large enough and hasn't been sealed off completely so it's still considered open? So Mamash, an interesting question here. It was broken, right? It was, it was, it was, there was a hole and the tumma could pass through. Maybe the only way to get rid of that is by closing up the hole. Just by sealing it under the size of the hole might not be good. So I'm a Vimir of Ashi, Labashas Indus, we can tell from the Mishnah. Don says in the Mishnah that, that Rabbi just quoted, Labashas Indus, Mamashas the earthenware barrel put in the sky that has a hole and the sediment sealed it. So it's, it stops it from contracting tumma, from, 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 from allowing the, the tumma's mace to pass through to the, to the upper story. Let's say it wasn't sediment, but it was stuffed with a vine. Aji marech. So then the tumaka passed through unless you smear clay around the vine to really seal the hole. Let's say there were two vines stuffed in the hole. Aji marech. When I saw them, the tumaka will still pass through unless you smear clay around the sides of the vines. Ubeins mor lachaveta and between one vine and the other. So basically, we're saying vines are not as sturdy there as sediment. Sediment really blocks. It's a barrier, but by vines you have to put in the clay to to, to connect it. So time is marech. It only. No reason the hole is closed is because he sealed the openings around the vines. Halomerach, if he didn't seal it, then, then the hole would not be considered closed and the tumma would pass through it. So if I'm I, why is that true? Let it be at least like someone who sealed off half of the hole with clay and made it too small. Meaning, why do I need the clay? Let the, the vines, let the vines say that, that, that it's a little bit, the hole is a little bit closed. So if we see that it's considered open, so to our question, if you seal it with half, half of the hole with clay, it would still pass through. Obviously, it's a bad comparison. Awesome. The reason why you're smearing with clay is because the vines are, themselves aren't going to stay. It's not shot. It's half sealed when there are vines without clay. When there are vines without clay, the, the vines will just 
will just fall out of place and we don't view it as, as being closed at all. But however, let's say you seal half the hole with something that will remain in place. So you put clay in half the hole, it remains there. So maybe that is a closure for part of the hole. So again, let's go over the question. You have a hole in the bar- earthenware barrel that's trying to contain the tumma. The hole is the size that lets the tumma pass through. What do I have to do now to stop that? To block, to, 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 to close the hole to, to allow the barrel to contain the tumma. Do I have to close the hole completely? Because once it was open, it was open. Or do I say I could just remove it from the from the large size that it had? And I mean, it would be if I seal if I seal half of it with clay, will it now contain the tumma? And the gemara doesn't have a proof to that. All right, now we go back to where we are learning Baba Kama. People swearing falsely about denying money. So Amar Rabba, Hare Amaru. What did the Rabbanon tell us? We're familiar. We already quoted that today. Someone who steals something, steals the cereal box, and then became went past over Pesach, so it becomes also Bahana, he can still has the right to return it to the victim and say, Here is the thing I stole in front of you. I don't owe you any money. So Fai Rabba, Rabba inquired, Nishba Allah Mahu. What is the halacha? After the Khamis is Asr, the Ghana swears falsely about having stolen it. What is the halacha? Is that and the Ikriya said is that the, the the question we want to know is you're only chive to pay for swearing falsely about mammon. So would you say that it's about it's about a monetary claim? Let's say the chametz was now stolen from the thief. Someone who stole his, his cereal box, so he can't return the cereal box as is. What would the law be? He would have to pay cash, right? That's the law. If I don't have the cereal box, I have to pay cash. So therefore, when I deny that I stole the cereal box, it's as if I'm denying a monetary obligation. Even though the cereal box itself doesn't have value, it's not money, but it could bring the money if I don't have it. Someone steals from me the cereal box, it will now generate that I have to pay money. So therefore, it says, if I'm denying a monetary claim, Odomo, maybe the Chametz is lying right now by the thief. So he could just return it as is. Even though it's dirt, he could return it. So therefore, I'm not denying anything that has a shame of money. So the Mar says, most of the Rava, but she told Rava this, that Rava wasn't sure about this. Rava didn't know. Someone says to his friend, you stole my house. He says, I didn't steal it. And he says, if you didn't steal it, how come it's by you? He, he directly accuses him of having his ox. So he says, He says, I didn't steal it. You made me a Shomarkinam to watch it. So he, he acknowledges that the guy's not wrong, that his ox is in his possession. He's just claiming that he's a Shomarkinam over it. So he swears falsely on that. And then he confesses that actually he stole it. Chayav, he is liable to bring an Ashram, even though he didn't fully deny that the ox belongs to the person accusing him. He just, he just was saying he was a Shomarkinam. What's the reason? There would be a big difference. He exempted himself from the liability of theft or loss, right? Because... When you're a Shomarkinam, you don't pay for Gneva Aveda, but if you were a Goslin on it, you would have to pay. If he, if, if he claimed Shomar Sachar and love, I'm a Shomar Sachar, and he swore falsely that effect, and then he confessed, Chayv, he's also Chayv. He's trying to exempt himself from liability if the animal would break or if it would die. If he stole it, he'd be liable for that Shomar Sachar. He wouldn't be liable. Shomar if he defended himself by saying, I'm borrowing it, and he swore falsely about that, and then he confessed, Chayv, he's still Chayv to bring Nasham. A shoel is chayv on onsen, but he's potter if it dies in the middle of work. If you borrow an ox and in the middle of working it, it drops dead, you're potter. So therefore, he's still trying to exempt himself from potential liability. It would be different. If a ganav that happened to a ganav, he would have to pay. Ama, what do I see? Even though the animal is currently standing in the thief's possession, and you're admitting that it belongs to the owner, and so you haven't denied a current obligation, but you're denying 
theoretical liability. Since if it would be stolen, he would have denied the monetary obligation for the false oath would have exempted him. Even though it didn't yet happen that way, he's just holding the ox. The oath, it, um, even though it's only potential liability, it's considered to be denying a monetary obligation. So Even though right now it's like worthless earth and you could just return it, so you're not denying the current obligation. Since if the cereal box would be stolen from the thief, now it would generate a monetary payment. So we see that, that he's swearing about something that could be a monetary claim. So basically, even though Rabbah wasn't sure about that, whether we look at the potential, only the current state, Rabbah was sure that we do look at the future state. As we see that Rabbah was saying, that where, where, where someone said, how come my animal's by you? And, he, and instead of just denying it, he said, oh yeah, because I'm a Shomar Chinam on it. We say he's liable because he's denying money. What money is he denying? The tarot is the potential, the future difference if, if the ox would be stolen. So too, by the cereal box, we look at it as a moment, a dika, a shvua, because he's denying future liability were the cereal box to be stolen. Says the Gemara, Yasef Rabbah Kamalash Mai. So Rabbah was sitting over and learning, saying over this thing that, that, that you could be high of on a shvua, false shvua about potential liability. So it's Rabbah Amal the Rabbah. Rabbah Amal challenged Rabbah from this price of the Chichish Ba. You deny it, denying it, Pratlam Motibaker. That excludes someone who admits to the basic obligation. So what does that mean? Ketzad, sure, you can have the guy says, You stole my ox. Who am I looking after? I didn't steal it. Mati Vasakhai then says to him, How come it's by you? So he says, Atmachatul, you sold to me, Atman Sazmatan, you gave it as a gift of Yichamacharul, your father sold to me, of Yichamasazmatan, your father gave it to me as a gift. Achaparasi rats. Or he says, You know why it's by me? Because it chased after my cow into my backyard. May love Etsli. It came to me on its own. Toa Badarach Matasif. I found it wandering on the road, so I brought it to my house. To return to you. I'm borrowing it. In all these cases, if he swears falsely and then confesses that he really just stole it and that's the reason it's by him, you might think he should be high for an ashram because he swear falsely after really that he stole it. The Torah says he denies it. That excludes these cases. Could he admit it to the basic obligation? So the way we understand initially, the way we understand, we're looking almost like only focusing on the second half of the price for just a moment, is where since he agrees that the animal is owned by the one accusing him, so he's just he's just denying like certain aspects of it, whether he stole it, he's not liable. So since he's saying, I'm a Shomer Chinam, he's not denying that the animal belongs to the victim, the person who's, who's accusing him. He's just saying that, hey, I didn't steal it. So then he's, he's not if he swore falsely, he only just has to return it to the owner. So we see now like Rabbi Rabbi was saying that, well, since, we, since if you said you're a Shomer Chinam, you're denying future liability that could come potentially. So it was considered a shvua of a false shvua on Mamon. Here we see different. So Amalei, he said to him, Tadura. Tadura is a very strong word. Tadura means like you don't have a brain, you're scatterbrained or something like that. Kitani, what is that, Bryce? We're talking about the Amalei Halech. It's where he admits to owing the, 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 the animal. He immediately gives it to him and it says, here, it's yours. So meaning to say, there's no possibility of future liability. He's returning it at the time. So yes, he lied. He might lie. Messi really has stolen it and, and, and he's making all sorts of other claims why it's by him. Oh, I'm only in Shomer Kingdom or wandered into my property or whatever. But it's more than that. He's saying, take it right now. So since he's saying, take it right now, take it back, there's no future liability that he, is, um, that, he's, that he could be denying by the fact that he's swearing right now. So in that case, there obviously he'd be potter, even though he lied. But what are we saying here? That your chayv lashon for a false oath, the kaima ba'agam, is with an animal standing in a swamp and it's not being returned right now. So then it's going to make a big difference if you stole it or if you're shomer chinam because what would be if it gets stolen from the swamp before he gives it back? So there we're saying you're denying a monetary claim through a false oath and there you would be chayv karen chomish So now that 
we quoted the price and we want to understand the case of the price. Again, someone comes over and he says, your animals by, is by, my animals by you. How come it's by you? And he says all sorts of, li- the real truth is he, st- he stole it. Instead of say- admitting that, he says all sorts of lies. But he admits to the basic obligations. So the Gemara goes through it. My, but most of them make sense, but the beginning ones are harder. If he says he sold it to me, in what way is he admitting? Right? If I say you sold it to me, I'm not admitting it's yours at all. So the says to him, I didn't give you the money, therefore take it and go. Meaning you sold it to me, but we made up that you have to pay me within 30 days. And if you don't pay me within 30 days, the whole sale is void. And he says, oh yeah, I admit I didn't pay you within 30 days. Therefore it's still your ox, take it and go. Or you give it as a present, or your father gave it to me as a gift. My mother In that case, how was he admitting to the basic obligation? So the Mark clarifies the Amalei. He said, It was only given to me on condition that I would do something, some favor for you, or for some favor for your father. And I admit that I didn't do it for you or your father. Therefore, the gift is voided. Take your ox and go. So again, he's admitting that it's the other guy's ox. He replies that I found it wandering on the road and I brought it in my house. The, the, the one accusing him should say, you should have returned it to me. Like the Mars now asking a totally different perspective. Like, why are you defending yourself by saying, oh, I saw it wandering on the road, so I brought it in my house. How is that a defense? You should do Ashraf He says that I swear that I, that I found something lost. I didn't know that it was yours. Meaning I, I found something that was lost. I didn't know it was yours. So therefore, I kept it by me. But, but you don't have a tie on me. How come it's by me? I just didn't know it was yours. Of course, now that you're here, take it and go. And that's what we were saying in all these cases, since he's returning it right away, admitting, even though he lies about the truth, the truth is that he stole it, since right now he's saying take it and go, so he's not chayav to make a shvua. So in conclusion, certainly, the fact that it says, it tells you that just because you lie, if you stole it, but really you're covering yourself for a different reason that it's by you, as long as you're giving it back right now, then you're not going to be chayav in asham if you falsely lied. That for sure is a true thing. But if you're pottering yourself now with a lie of potential liability when you're not returning it now, that was Rabba's opinion that you are still high of um, when you swear falsely. All right. Now, we just have to know a little bit more before we start the next Gemara. At the end of the part of we also see if someone someone knows testimony that could help his friend and, he, and he's refusing to testify. And his friend says, and the way he's, defend, he's, he's, he's not testifying, he says, I don't know about it. I don't know about it. What do you want me to do? And the, guys, and, the, and the guy who wants him to testify says, swear to me that you don't know anything about it. And he swears, and then he admits falsely that he lied. There also he brings a carbon ashram. So the Gemara gets into this here. There are three different cases about someone who lost something, and someone else might know something about it that can help him. And he's refusing to testify, and he swears falsely. There are three shvuas. He may have recognized the lost article, but he didn't recognize the finder. And others, he saw... A witness here sees Ruben's lost animal walking in someone else's property, but he doesn't know who the finder was. He doesn't recall whose yard he actually found it in. And he wants, right, the, 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 the person who lost it wants him to testify that he saw it was a lost thing. But Moza Veloba, or he recognized that someone found it, but he didn't know, recognize the stolen article. In other words, he saw that someone lost a lost animal, but he, 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 he saw that Shimon, I'm sorry, Shimon found a lost uh, animal, but he didn't know whose it was. So he's swearing falsely. He could have said, I saw Shimon find the lost animal, but I didn't know whether it was yours. He could have said that. Or Lobo Lomatza. He didn't recognize it or its finder. So the Gemara says, well, 
That's not a false rule. He's actually swearing the truth. If he says he doesn't know it, he doesn't know about the lost animal or the, or the finder. That is truth. Why would you mention that case? No, 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 no. We switched the gears. He recognized the animal and the finder. He saw Shimon find the lost animal. He recognized his roofing. So the oath was a total lie. So let's go over. There are three cases, right? Ruvain lost an animal. Shimon found it. And now in order to get it back, he needs this witness to testify that Reuben lost, he saw Reuben's lost animal be taken and found by Shimon. That's what he wants. So if, if this witness knows everything, that Reuben lost the animal and Shimon found it, and he's worth falsely, he doesn't, and then he admits that he really does. That's like the classic case. That's obvious. But what's not obvious is the first two, where he knows that Reuben lost it, and, 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 but he didn't know that Shimon, who, who, who was the person who found it, or he saw the person find it, but he didn't know who it was that he lost it. And he swore about the little knowledge that he had. Those are also included. So now the Gemara means included in what? Lamai Hilchasa. What are we saying? If you swear false in these contexts, in these contexts what is the law? He's still Potter, meaning he doesn't bring a carbon for a false Shavu about testimony in these cases. No, he is liable. So the Gemara explains what's going on. What's going on here is as follows. When I could testify and I don't, the reason why it's such a crime is because I could help somebody. I have, I have the knowledge to help somebody, I have to help. So if I'm two witnesses, then of course, it makes sense. But if I'm a single witness, why does my, my testimony really even matter? What is my testimony going to help? So one, one witness, he can't, it's not Moti Maman. What's the Allah when one witness testifies something? Somebody who goes up against one witness could just swear against the witness and be exonerated. So maybe there's no chiyah about swearing false about information when you're only one witness. Plug down tonight, it's the machlokas that we see in this price. The Tanah Mashbiyah, someone who adjures a single witness to testify for him, and the witness falsely denies knowing the knowledge. Potter, he's not chayef to a carbon or a blossom and shipment. Oh, remember, a carbon blossom and shipment holds he is liable. Mike, what was machlokas? Marzav, I don't remember the Mokamam You could cause a benefit of money, meaning it could be that the, the person won't want to swear up against the Eidachad, and therefore, had he testified, the guy would have gotten his money back. Could be, it could be not. It's not considered like actual money. So that's what they're arguing about. It could be that I would have helped him retrieve his lost object. But that's the question is that it's not necessarily clear that it would have happened that way. And it's just possibly going to cause money. And that's the machlokas, whether there's liability for swearing falsely, not about certainty of getting back your money, but impossibly getting it back. Okay, new discussion. Someone who is a shomer. So that means something was given to me to watch. And then you come and ask for it back. And I'm kofer. I deny that I have it. I actually do have it, but I deny it. And then it becomes known through witnesses, you know, that it's still by me later. At the moment, once I deny that I had it, I'm a robber. So this is a big chiddush because I'm really only a shomer. I didn't steal it. I didn't do an act of anything. You gave it to me willingly. Once I deny having it, at that point, I become a gazlan and the nafkamini is chayba onsim. You have to pay even for onsim that happened. Normally, only Ghana pays for onsim. Shomer don't. Once I deny that I have it, now I become a robber of chayba onsim. We see this in the price of a you deny it, lamanu onish. Here we see the punishment for someone who denies having a deposit of his friend. Where do I see that a person is warned against denying this? Don't deny falsely. My love, What we're talking about is the punishment for the denial, even when there's no false oath. So in other words, but the point that the Gemara is bringing out is we're not talking about a Shomer who swore falsely that he doesn't have it, and then it turns out he really had it. There, of course, he's a Gaza. We want to know about someone who just denies it. He comes and he says, where's my thing? He denies it. And then Adim come along and say, it's really by him. We see over here in the Torah that you're treated like a Gaza. It says the Gemara, Lola, it's only talking about someone who swore falsely, where you swear falsely about it, and then it merges that you confess that you really had it. That's where we're saying you're a Gaza. But just if you deny it, you didn't swear falsely, you didn't, then you're not going to Gaza. Says the Gemara, Tani Seva the Shabbat. But the end of the Brayzer talks about where he swore falsely. We call the Rishon Lo Shabbat. So the Rishon is talking about where he didn't swear falsely. Tani Seva says in the Seva, Nishbal Shek, a person who swore falsely, the man who owners. There we see the punishment for swearing falsely and denying a monetary obligation. We have to be careful. How do we know where there's 
a warning in the Torah not to swear falsely. Don't lie. The, the end of the price that was talking about this wearing, clearly the first part of the price was talking about even without swearing. <coughs> so even without swearing, we want to prove that just denying that you have it already makes you a gazlan at, at that point. You be chayv him if Adim come and testifies by you. So the Mar says, No, both parts of the price are talking about where he swore. Where he swore. In the end of the price, we're talking about, and then after you swore falsely, you confessed yourself. In the beginning of the price, we're talking about where witnesses come and say that it's by you. Also, Adim come. You, you, you actually never confess. Just witnesses come and stay by you. So there you're chayv, but owns him. But you're not chayv to bring a chomesh or asham. But where he confesses, chayv, a chomesh, asham. So it's very interesting. So when you are holding something, and now someone says, give me my thing back. So if you stop deny it, we're saying, okay, you didn't give it back, but you're not a goslin at this point. But if you swear falsely, so now you become like a goslin. Now, big nafkimina, if you yourself confess to it, your sin, that you swore falsely, you have to bring karen chomesh, asham. Whereas Aiden testifies by you, you don't bring karen chomesh, asham. But if an onus happens, you would have to pay. Says the Gemara, is this true? We have a kashan of Sheshis. Let's say you have a person who's high Shua, but he can't swear because he's already been suspect for swearing falsely. So we can't give him a Shua in the court. So what's the halacha? So the halacha then is that we flip and say the opposing party, he should swear and he can collect. So, okay, it's out. How do we have a person who's not uh, trusted to swear? Someone who falsely swore. About testimony, shvua sapikadun, a false shvua about having a deposit, a filu shvua shaf, or he just took a shvua in vain. In all these cases, when now he has to take a shvua, we don't trust him in the future. So Vim Isa, if it's true that a shomer who denies having a deposit is considered a thief without ever swearing falsely, then then one who made a false oath about a deposit was already puzzled as soon was already puzzled for making an oath as soon as he denied having itself. And I was, why does the Mishnah say? That someone is, is puzzled. We don't trust him about a shvua only once he swore falsely about having it. We shouldn't trust him as soon as he denies having it. Because as soon as he denies having it, he's really a goslin. And a goslin is not kosher for a shvua. So the Gemara says, It's in a swamp. It wasn't in, in, in his possession. We denied having it. That's not a full denial. Why? When I say I don't have it and it's just I'm stalling time. He says himself, let me... <clears throat> just evade him a little bit until I go and bring it from the swamp. And notice he's returning, he's intending to return it in, as soon as he could. Meaning there's a big difference between when the item is by me and right away I deny it and it's by me and it's in my pocket and I say I don't have it, then I'm a goslin. I'm just a robber because you should return it. But when I don't have it, I'm just buying myself time to go get it and return it. There I'm just slipping out and I'm not a goslin. It's only me, it will only be if I swear falsely that I would be like a goslin. Says the Gemara of course this is true. Someone who denies taking a loan. He says, oh, I, so Ruben says, Shimon, you lent me money. Shimon says, no, I didn't. And then Adam say that he did. He's still kosher for giving testimony in the future, even though he denied the truth. Whereas if he calls him Pasaladis, someone who denies holding a deposit when really it's in his pocket, he's Pasaladis, he is a Russia. Why? What's the difference? The difference is, is because in the ratio, he, he's just trying to buy himself money. He's just by buying himself time. That's the point. So even though he falsely denies the claim, he's not trying to steal the money. He's just trying to defer the payment as made, is, 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 is they just to defer the payment. So, so, so the loan where I was spent it and now I'm just trying to buy time to get more money. When I deny that, you don't look at me as being a Gazan at that point. Okay, I'm just buying myself time. So therefore I remain Kashalaida. Mashain came in a case of Bikadun where I say, Where's my thing that I gave to you to watch? And I deny having it, it's in my pocket. There you might be a Gazan at that point. So as long as it's not by him and it's by the swamp and he's just buying himself time, then we would understand that he's not possible to with his denial. But again, if his mom is in his pocket and he denies it, then we're still defending where Shesha said that he would be a Gazan already at that point.